this analogy came to me and I almost immediately dismissed it, but I just couldn't stop thinking about it. It was like an earworm. The more I thought about it, the more I was able to make it make sense. So here it is. We all know that cats like to bring you their kill when they want your approval or to show their love, a little disgusting homage to your relationship. Well, here's the pivot. Okay, people aren't much different. I think we call these behaviors as our love languages, inferring to behaviors that show commitment, respect, adoration, or to acknowledge you provide them some sense of safety or, or comfort. People will show you their appreciation and respect in different but very comparative ways. And in my observation, it's interesting how the most feral humans aren't much different from feral cats. They'll bring you things to show you they respect you, or that they look to you for safety, or that they simply identify you as theirs. In the world I'm from, I call these type of folks mouse catchers. Humans and cats will both bring you stuff, you know, shit you don't need. <laughs> or maybe you do. Humans will bring you actual people in hopes that they serve a purpose. It's the most primal and remedial expression of respect you see, I once heard that the age that we're introduced to drugs and alcohol is the age that we are emotionally stunted when these substances become a habit or a problem. This is why folks that are of an advanced age but started abusing or using at a young age seem to act very childlike in their approach to life and in their attachments to other people. And here's where we pivot back to the cats. See, the cat's emotional growth caps to the equivalent of a two-year-old human. Case in point, you ever notice how human babies like to hand you shit? It's like they caught a mouse, and they're bringing it to you for approval. Something I bet a lot of us fail to consider, beyond whether or not someone's an addict, but how old they are emotionally, and do they fully grasp the situation? It's real easy to look at a 30-year-old addict and say, you're too old for this shit. Get your shit together. That'd be a lot easier if it wasn't an abandoned, alone teenager living in that shell of a person. Simply doing the best they can. You know what? This is a long-ass intro. Let's just get into it. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. My mouse catcher came to me in the form of this kid that we affectionately refer to as Praying Nate. And... He got that nickname because he would always come into a room and he'd find a corner where really there could be nobody behind him and, and he could see the doors and the windows and whatnot. And, and he never really sat in a chair. He'd always squat down and with, with his elbows on his knees and, and his hands would, would be hung down, like hung over, just looked just like a praying mantis. And, and he was a thin kid and his clothes never really fit him. They were always maybe a little too big. And he had this always kind of dirty looking, wiry, uh, dark brown hair. And he always had his hat on. And, you know, he, he rightfully would assume this, this pose in, in the locations that he was at, because the story that I was told was that he was at a party once and Nate was an addict. He was known for stealing and just kind of doing the grimy shit that needs to get done when you're that level of addiction. He was at this party and somebody ran into him that uh, apparently Nate had stolen from him. And they wound up smashing this kid in the side of the head with a, a 40 bottle, you know, a 40 ounce bottle of beer. That's glass. That's heavy glass. 
and it, it busted up the whole side of his face. I mean, part of his face is held together with screws and, and titanium plates, and, and they really fucked this kid up and left him of sorts maybe a little simple. You know, there was definitely some damage done to the brain with a hit like that. So the kid would assume this position for very good reasons. It was really a, a, a position of protection for him. But as a mouse catcher, he would always go out and, and return with these, these other strays that were about. He'd come back with all different levels of participants in this game. You know, a perfect example, he is how I met Carrie. I don't know if you guys recall, I mentioned a gentleman named Carrie. You know, everybody kind of congregated. I believe I spoke on it briefly, but everybody kind of congregated in the uh, in the open area at the apartments. And he and I kind of hit it off and we hung out and we got high. And, you know, he talked about his ex-wife and his kids. And, <laughs> and you know, again, I would encourage him, man, maybe you should stop fucking around with this shit and, and, and straighten out and get back to him. And he wanted that. This is where I met him. And he and I hung out. He would be over daily. I knew stories of him. He knew stories of me, but he didn't connect. One day he comes stomping and I mean stomping. He always wore cowboy boots. He comes stomping across the apartment complex and I can hear his boots clack, clack, clack. I'm like, Ooh, that's an angry sounding boot. And he comes up now, mind you, I don't know if you remember, but this guy's known for putting heads through the back of porcelain toilets, fucks people up. This is not like, oh, I fight a little bit. This motherfucker hurts people. And I had just, just before he found out exactly who I was, I had just learned that Joe had sent him after me. So when I heard his boots clacking up, I said, oh, shit. And he goes... He comes up the stairs and into my apartment and because the door was open, he goes, you're fucking Jay. And I was like, yeah. And man, this guy hugged me so tight. It was fucking weird. And he goes, I can't believe that motherfucker sent me after you. You got to be the coolest, nicest dude I've ever met. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, right. you know, here's the thing. I don't, I don't believe in sending people. And when I say I don't believe in sending people, like, if I've got a reason to put hands on somebody, that's my fucking reason I need to go handle it myself. I'm not about sending a dark man. You know what I mean? Nobody in the shadows. I don't. But I wasn't going to tell Carrie to mind his fucking business. <laughs> of all the things he did share with me, he tells me, you know, the, the day I knew I respected you. And, and forgive me if I'm repeating this story, but it's a, it's a great story. I bought a new vacuum. And I accidentally threw away a piece of it. So I was like, hey, fuck, I forgot. Or I got to run over to, to cross the street to Kmart. I got to go get this piece that uh, I just threw away on accident. And he walks with me because it's literally just across the street. We walk across the street. I walk into Kmart. I wave at the ladies at the front. I walk right back to the display vacuums. I pull the piece off that I threw away. And I walk right the fuck back out the front door. Waving at everybody on my way. Hey, see you later. And they waved back out the door. I went, he goes, I've never seen anybody pull that off. Just a straight faced, walked in, walked out, didn't say nothing to nobody. I was like, Hey man, if you look like you belong, nobody's going to question anything. And that's how I gained this guy's respect. That, that bullshit little move of me stealing a piece of a vacuum. 
gained me enough respect for this guy that I didn't get my head pushed through the back of a porcelain toilet. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. He was a little bright spot for me. He's a scary cat. A lot of love in his heart, but, you know, the drugs just took him over. I, I miss that guy. I miss that guy. In all of this insanity, he was a little bright spot for me because we clicked. Pray Nate brought me this girl, Sophia. Now, Sophia is actually where Carrie was the night that he and I first met. So she didn't wander over that first night, but but eventually she did. And she was one of them hustling chicks, you know, a little ornerier than maybe she needed to be. She was she was thin. She was thin and and she had like a like a tilted pelvis. So her ass always kind of stuck out, but she was a little skinny girl. She had a tough life. You could see she wore her addiction on her face. You could tell she wasn't one of them girls that could maybe play it off. And she came over one night with Nate and she was just hanging out and everything was cool. And we were kind of just getting to know each other. And, you know, this chick, she just passes out on my couch. And I was like, uh, all right, new girl. Uh, I guess this is where she's sleeping. So Sydney and I gave her a blanket and we just left her alone and we all continued to hang out. And we were told a story about her while she was sleeping I'm not sure what it is exactly that led to what wound up happening to her, but the story goes that her boyfriend, husband, I, I, I'm not 100% sure what the relation exactly was, but she had pissed him off. I don't know if she cheated. I don't know if it was drug related. I, I, don't, I don't know that piece, but what I do know is, as I was told, he had tied her to a chair and was shooting at her all around her. This ultimately led to him getting arrested. Okay. She didn't call the cops on him, but when you're firing a gun in what I'm uh, guessing is a house or, or someplace that other people heard it. And anyway, he was doing time for that. I don't know which part of the story is true and which part of the story is false. But what I know is, is if this chick's man's locked up and she's passed out of my house, dude, nobody is fucking with this girl. Okay. If this chick's dude is locked up, I don't know him. I don't know if the story is true. It's all alleged, but I'm going to do him the service and make sure that nobody fucks with his girl, at least under my watch. I can't, I can't make decisions for adults, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're not fucking with this girl while she's in my house. She slept for a while. She was out. I mean, probably 10, 12 hours. She woke up and we fed her and it, it, it felt normal. It felt okay. You know, she, um, she stayed at our apartment for a while until this other dude came over and 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 Nate had it during the night wound up wandering off as he would always do, you know, as stray cats do, right? And he brought he came back with this cat and his, and, and his name was Casper. He went by Casper. That's the only name I knew him by. That's that's I didn't ask no questions. That was Casper. And he was a really cool cat, man. I'm telling you right now, he, he was all right, but he was every bit of a Southside Crip from Stockton. Real OG gangster shit. That doesn't make me any, never know mine. Okay. Like you do you partner. Like you cool with me. I'm cool with you. 
he came over and I was like, yeah, she's here. We took care of her, you know, the whole thing. He's like, yeah, thanks, man. That was, that was cool. And I was like, yeah, don't even trip, bro. Like, I mean, what am I going to do? Like, get out. Like, that's, that's not all right. Like she needed somewhere to be and she felt safe enough to fall asleep. So I'm just leaving her alone. And Casper was cool. You know, he was one of them, them OGs, you know, like wife beater, baggy shorts, white socks pulled up to to the knees, Chuck Taylors, like a proper OG gangster, you know. You know, a little side story about Casper. The the day that I met this guy, we were hanging out and I invited him in the apartment, like, hey man, you want to get loaded? And he was like, Fuck yeah, let's go. And fucking we go in the house and I'm like, hey Cindy, this is Casper. And you know, she's always very, very welcoming. And and he comes in right behind me. And what he didn't know, we had two cats, okay? And I named them Shabu and Pizzo. Now, for those of you that don't know, Shabu is, in fact, the dope I was selling. That was the Filipino name for the dope I was selling. And a Pizzo is the nickname for a glass pipe. So, funny story, my family's running around saying Shabu and Pizzo, and they have no fucking idea. Anyway, my cats, they lived with us, right? Obviously. Casper walks in the house, and the door's still open. And one of my cats walks from the bedroom into the other room. And I shit you not, this hard-ass gangster motherfucker made a U-turn, and I swear his body turned inside out and headed the other direction because he was deathly afraid of cats. (laughs) I didn't know what the fuck happened. He was behind me, then he was gone. And so that night was the great equalizer for for this hardcore gangster that I... His kryptonite lived in my house. It was the funniest shit. So now anytime he came over, I had to lock up the cats because he was not playing. He was deathly afraid of cats. And I never really asked why. It was too fucking funny to figure it out. So, sorry, I just had to get that one out. And everything was cool. Sophia and I would, like, if she needed some, and and as long as Casper was with her, you know, like, we'd all get high together and stuff. Like, I also know the rules. I'm not getting this chick high. I don't know her old man. I don't know how he would feel about me getting his girl high. But Casper was this guy's brother. So transitive property, I guess it's, I assumed it to be okay that we all got high together. So we'd hang out, conduct a little business, no big deal. It was, it was very friendly, you know, so now it's Sophia and Casper and Carrie and I and pray Nate bouncing in and out and Tony's. Oh man, you guys, Tony, my neighbor, this kid fucking lost his mind after the whole fight on the balcony. This kid got weird, man. Like he started thinking people were out. Everybody was out to get him. The business that he and I were conducting together started getting far and few between, and my activities were leaning more with Casper and Sophia and Carrie, and he felt slighted. So my ability to get dope or whatever it was via Tony was was quickly cut off. The real breaking point there was the fact that, yeah, I'm having a good time. I've got an apartment. I've got all these people around me. But you know what? What I'm not doing is I'm not making a lot of money. I'm doing a lot of drug abuse and not a lot of handling my business. My power had got cut off. I looked at Tony and I'm like, hey, man, you got to help me out. I got I to get these lights stayed on somehow. And, and what we wound up doing, <laughs> my power outlet on the connecting wall to Tony's apartment and his were back to back. So we wound up just cutting a tiny little hole around each one of our outlets. And I ran a power cord into his apartment and would plug into that. And that's how I kept my refrigerator going and at least one light on. 
that's how it was. You guys like, I'm telling a lot of story about how great this is. It's, it's not great. It's, it's not fucking great. You know, I, I, I went from being part of the family with bear to all of that dissolving and being the man about town. And now I'm not even able to keep my lights on and, and the people I'm surrounded by are just getting grimier and grimier. Okay. As my relationship got a little deeper with Sophia and Casper and Carrie, mine and Tony's were falling apart. Tony kept unplugging my shit just randomly, you know, and shutting my shit off like when I wasn't home and I'd come home, my fridge isn't running. What the fuck, bro? What the fuck's going on here? You know, and he really wouldn't say much. He'd just kind of act like a little bitch about it. You know, instead of like just being like, hey, man, fuck you. Like, I'm not fucking powering your apartment. Instead of just calling it like it is, which I totally would have understood. He was being a little bitch about it. You know, I, I didn't I didn't think nothing of it because see, here's the thing. If I was handling my business appropriately, I wouldn't even be in this situation. So I justified it in my own head. I, I get it, dude. I do. I get it. So Tony's next door. We're really not vibing, but there's no like beef. It's just, we're just both kind of done with each other. I'm deep in the trenches with, with like real gangsters now. And, uh, you know, one night we hear all these cops, all these sirens. What, what's going on here? And I step outside and I see Tony's car. And Tony had this old like 1980 something continental. It was all black, red interior. Fucking pretty nice car. But he had decided he was going to run from the cops that night. And instead of him like going literally anywhere else, he ran back to our complex. First of all, don't run from the cops. It ain't going to do you any good. They're going to catch you at some point, right? Like we, we pretty much have a good idea that that's how that goes down. But you certainly don't bring them back to your own place where you know the neighbors and everybody is involved in nefarious shit. Like, this isn't how it works. But he comes running back to his place. The dogs wind up chewing this fucking guy up. He's down there screaming. I was like, oh, shit. I, I never even found out why he was running from the cops. I just can't fucking believe he would run back to his apartment complex. Anyway. Tony shows up after this arrest. He shows up, I don't know, three, four, five days later. He was booked and released and was at home all full of stitches. Like this kid, he got fucked up. This dog chewed up his calf, his thigh. He had a bite on his head. It was wild. Well, needless to say, he had to move out. <laughs> you know, a line had to be drawn somewhere. So he had to go. Tony, I, the way I understand it, he he moved out. He went and moved back in with his grandma and ultimately wound up doing some time for whatever he ran from the cops for. But, you know, we had like this good thing going on. We had, you know, me, Tony and Adam, you know, we were all about the same age. We were all of the same mindset. You know, we were just kind of grinding, hustling, whatever we needed to do. Things were were good. And, and I, I didn't see Tony's decline coming. It didn't make sense how we went from where we were. And, and maybe I didn't understand his level of addiction. Maybe maybe he was on drugs that I wasn't aware of. The behavior was so out of character very quick. I, I don't I don't know if maybe 
and and this is going to come up more and more but maybe him trying to keep up with my addiction fucked him up because i did a lot a lot of drugs people would try to hang with how much i was doing and they couldn't i mean i've watched people throw up from smoking too much weed with me i've watched people fucking freak out from smoking too much meth with me i've i've and here i am just like nah, i'm going about my day no big deal boy that you look like you're all fucked up you should probably go so maybe that was it I, i don't know i'm i'm not his therapist i'm not in his head i don't know what led him down that road but i certainly wouldn't have encouraged him to run from the cops and i certainly wouldn't have condoned him fucking running back to his apartment where we all were, but I I guess life has a way of working itself out, but I'm going to tell you there's new people moving in. So I sure as shit can't fucking run my power cord back into this house. I've got some decisions I got to make, you know, Adam actually wound up helping us out and fucking kicked me some cash to get the lights cut back on, which was fine. But the problem is, is okay, my lights are on, but do I have the money I need to make my next rent payment? I don't. I don't because see here here's the thing. If I did, I uh I wouldn't. I'd have spent it on drugs. You know, my my addiction was so bad during this time. And I, I tell you, the guilt I feel for for this next piece is brutal. And I live with it every day. And and and, and it may not seem like anything to you guys. The night before my cousin's wedding, I was trying to figure out how to get power. I was shaving a power cord, an electrical cord, to try to run it back in to Tony's apartment before the next people moved in. So I had power for a while. And I was I was shaving down the head of a three-prong electrical cord to make the smallest hole possible to get some power into my apartment. And that plastic around the extension cord is pretty hard. And and I wasn't whittling, like shaving away from me. I was squeezing the knife towards me and it popped through the plastic and it, and it went through the top knuckle of my thumb and the, the top from the first knuckle, you know, the whole top of my thumb just flopped over. And I was, oh shit. And I fucking grabbed my thumb and I, I like put it back and I'm just standing there and I'm like, I know what I just saw, but now I've, I've got it back in place. So maybe, maybe that's not what I just saw. And I yell at Cindy, bring me some, bring me some tape. Now I only fix cuts with two things, either tape or super glue. It's just what I've always done my whole life. It's I'm not a doctor, but she just brought me the first roll of tape she found and it was electrical tape. And I wrapped it around my whole thumb and I ultimately wound up putting it on too tight and so I had to untape myself with the whole top of my thumb only being held on by a piece of skin on the outside of my thumb. You got this was not fun. And I get the tape off and we wrap it with gauze and I put tape back on it. I think I actually wound up using duct tape this time. Again, not a doctor nor a smart person at this point at all. But, you know, I was trying to stay sober that day. I was trying because I needed to make it to my cousin's wedding. She didn't deserve to have me there all fucked up. And in typical addict fashion, I use this as an excuse to get high. And I got really high. And the day of her wedding, I, I canceled going. 
and I blamed it on cutting off the tip of my thumb. Now, not that that wasn't a okay reason, but the real reason I didn't go is because I couldn't stay sober, and she didn't deserve that. I, I, God, that one hurts, man. Like I couldn't stay sober for my cousin's wedding. And you know what? Instead of, instead of realizing, oh, hey, maybe I need to get my shit together. It was, you're such a piece of shit addict. You should get high. <laughs> Let's get high about it. That'll make you feel better. And it was another one of those, uh, those layers, right? Like, like addicts grow onions. Okay. They don't peel back to get to the core of things, they grow new layers, right? New layers to shield the original reason for addiction. They grow a new layer for a reason to stay addicted. And this was just another layer. Okay. So now I, my lights are cut off. There's a layer. She get high. I cut my thumb. Oh, there's a, there's a layer. I am missing my cousin's wedding because I'm an addict. There's a layer, but that's where I was. That's that's who I was in in life, you know. I I was still trying my best to stay a good person, and I was feeding this monster that just wanted me to stay a monster. My thumb healed. Clearly, the guilt from missing my cousin's wedding has not. You know, she listens to this podcast. She's actually the reason that that I made the intro episode zero because she's brilliant, and I asked for her help. And uh, she reaches out every now and then. It's amazing to me that she listens to this. So anyway, it all passes. You know, I'm sure my family now knows exactly how bad it is. They, I think they have an idea, but they don't know because I'm not seeing anybody. There's another layer for you. <laughs> you know, I'm assuming what people know. And I'm assuming whether or not they're judging me about it. But I move on. And you know, you know who stays by me through this whole thing? You know, this guy praying, Nate, I, I tell you, I really hope he's okay today. You know, I, I haven't seen him since I lived in this apartment complex, really. I really hope the best for this guy. Another character that he brought to me, another mouse he went and got, was this guy, Darren. Now, Darren was this older guy. He was, I don't know, 30s, 40s, something. He was another one of them guys that heard about me, mainly once I got back into Manteca, he heard of me. And actually, the people that were talking to him about me only really had negative shit to say, so he built up this vision of who I was in his head. He, he figured he was going to come over and intimidate me and, you know, get me to back down from whatever it was I was doing. And he showed up one night, and he was down in the, the open area, he was yelling my name. It was kind of creepy. Like he was down there with like six other guys and he was like, Jason, like trying to be like fucking spooky and shit. And I'm too stupid to be scared. So I was like, sup? And he's like, let's talk. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's talk, bro. He was saying, let's talk like he was going to fuck me up. Right. And I'm like, let's talk like, hey, let's have a chat, buddy. And I go down there and. I was like, what's going on, man? And and I think my demeanor threw him off because he did like I came down very nice, very cordial. And, and <laughs> I swear to God, like the guys he was with were looking at him like, man, say the word, say the word, say the word. And he and I just started talking within 10 minutes. 
me and this guy are just laughing, hanging out. He's like, hey, man, you want to get high? I was like, fuck yeah, dude, come on, come upstairs. And he told all those guys he came with, he was like, man, y'all need to beat it. And they were like, what? What? What the fuck is going on here? Darren and I actually wound up becoming, surprise, surprise, pretty good friends. Like all of these guys, it's the craziest thing. All of these people that were like after me or intended to do me harm or sent to, to do harm, we wound up friends because I, I don't know if I was just disarming in, in my approach, but any one of these guys that got two minutes to have a conversation with me immediately changed. Their posture would change. Their delivery would change. And we would just wind up having a, a chat, you know, and like, and they would see that the things that they were told weren't exactly aligned. I mean, I was still a scumbag. Let's, I, I mean, I am who I am. They are who they are. There's only one reason we're even having a conversation. And it's because we're, we're, we're the same. And I think that's where people got disarmed is because they realized, Oh, this guy's all right, man. Like y'all are talking shit. Like he's just doing the best he can. And I'm going to tell you like Darren and I, like people expected me and this guy to have a problem. And he was a big ass white boy. He was a big ass. Like he was probably six, four, probably 300 and I don't know, 50 pounds, like just big. He was like big, like he worked out, but also a big ass gut. Like all he drank was beer for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So people really expected this guy to tear me down. And, and, and I recognize some of the people he was with as, you know, background players, like people that have watched me move. And, you know, they were probably looking for a reason to fucking come try to handle their business. So now I've got... Let's go down the list, right? I've got Sophia, I've got Casper, I've got Darren, I've got Carrie. Really what we were is a group of people that were currently at our worst. And we wound up bonded together because I think at the core, each one of these people individually were very similar to me and they were in situations that they just ended up in and they really weren't built for it. I think that's, that's a really prevalent scenario here is so many addicts and so many, dare I say, even some criminals, they, they've done things because of a series of poor decisions that they felt they had to make. It was almost like they were placed in positions where they were forced to make a decision when all they had to do was not make that decision, just walk away. And it felt like walking away wasn't the move because some piece of our lives was feeding the, the core issue, you know? So for me, my core issue was the need to feel wanted and loved and, 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 and needed. And so I kept making decisions to try to feed the core without putting on a new layer to hide it because see, here's the thing. At some point you put on so many layers, the core winds up compressed with the inside layers, right? Like it's, it, 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 it becomes so tainted and so compressed that the core doesn't even exist anymore. So whatever their core was led them to a whole bunch of series of decisions that ultimately brought us all together. And every one of us was in the same situation. If we had somewhere to live, it was barely. 
if we were able to get high, it was it was barely. Nonetheless, we all wound up banded together. So life winds up continuing, you know, day in, day out, trying to get high. Pray Nate would have some new character that 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 you know some new mouse he went and caught and and he'd bring him around and we'd essentially like use up whatever resource this person had you know pray nate brought this this construction guy around one day i don't even know how we met this dude but but he lived uh over in the Northgate area in Mantega. he was remodeling his house you know the way i understand it is is he had you know he was redoing the floors in his whole house so nate would all right, so Nate would steal shit and then return them. And then they would get returned to a gift card because he didn't have a receipt. And then this guy would go return his flooring that he paid cash for. And then he would just rebuy it with that gift card and we would use the cash to get dope. Do you follow that? It's a little confusing. But anyway, that's how it would work. And these were the kind of things that Nate was great for because once that guy's floor was done, guess what? That well is dry. So it, Nate had this ability to find these people. But yeah, it's this whole new list of characters. And, and I tell you, they were good people. But it's definitely a step down. We are We are on a downward spiral. It was not a safe place to be. Now, mind you, I'm surrounded by Casper and Carrie and Darren and myself, which are formidable in our own right but together we're a problem there's not a lot that can get done when you're going to come at these four people standing together these are tough stories to tell because none of this is who i am but it was who i was and you were you were not going to catch me slipping i'm i'm blessed i'm blessed to have made it i tell you if you like what you've been listening to, and I appreciate the fact that you're listening, reach out. You can get a hold of me by Madness Method on Instagram or my Madness Method 819 at Gmail. I'm working on some other projects I'll let you guys know about soon, but I'd really love to hear from you. Until the next time, my name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method.